Well, I want to just kind of pick up where we left off last week. If you were here, we began a new series that we are calling Freed to be Freed, and we are kind of just basing that off of a scripture in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and there it kind of says, it's for our freedom that Christ has set us free. Another translation puts this same uh, scripture, uh, Galatians 5.1, and it says, Christ has set us free to enjoy our freedom. So in case you weren't here last week or maybe you've kind of forgotten, let me quickly review what we talked about last week. We kind of began with this statement. We said, it is impossible to solve a problem unless or until you know what the problem is. Okay, you'll never be able to solve a problem when you don't know what is wrong to begin with. Many of us have been trying to fix ourselves or we've been trying to fix others uh, for a long, long time and we don't seem to make much progress, uh, especially if we don't know what the problem is. Sometimes your wife or your husband or your parents or your friends or your coworkers, they look at you, they see what you're doing, what's happening in your life, and they're kind of like, what is wrong with you? What's happening to you? And you know there's something wrong, but you don't know how to fix it or how to solve it because you're really not quite sure what the problem is to begin with. And so last week we looked into the New Testament where the Apostle Paul gives us kind of a better insight into what is wrong with all of us. And not only does the Apostle Paul tell us what the problem is, but thankfully he also gives us a solution. Now what the, pro now the problem uh, the Apostle Paul shares with us, it is applicable to everybody whether you are a Christian or not because our life experience validates this. One of the things you and I have in common is there are things in your life that you just find impossible to change. There are things happening in your life you just find yourself just, I can't fix this. I don't know how to solve this. There's something about me that needs to be fixed and I can't do it. Some of you have had long conversations with people you love and you're trying to get them to change. Sometimes maybe you look in the mirror and you say, what is wrong with me? And every one of us in this room has that in common, in that at one time or another in our lives, we have all been there. Some of you may be there in that very place this morning. So we're going to begin the way we did last week, by allowing the Apostle Paul, who is giving us all this information, to describe how he experienced his problem. And he's going to give us a passage of scripture again, all of us can identify with in here, all of us will agree with whether you are a believer or not. Romans 7 beginning in verse 15, here's what Paul says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but I hate what I do. To which all of us can say, been there, done that at some point in my life. There are things I don't want to do, and I do it. There are things I hate, and I do it anyway. And Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good. I want to do good, Paul says, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, and get this, but the evil 
that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. You're sitting there and you're thinking, man, Paul's reading my mail. Paul's nailing me here. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, he said, it is no longer I who do it. And here he's identifying the problem. But it is sin living in me that does it. Again, one of the amazing things about these verses we just looked at that Paul wrote there is you don't have to be a religious person to know that's true. Your life experience validates that. It says, yep, that's me. How many times have you driven home from work and you're going, I did that again. Man, no matter how hard I try not to do that, I keep ending up doing that. What is wrong with me? Or you end up in a long, difficult conversation with your spouse or a friend, and you know what they're saying to you is right. And you're defending your actions, but you know deep down inside they're right. And when you have a little bit of time just to get away and to kind of think about what they're saying, you'll say, they're right. Why do I keep on doing this? What is wrong with me? What has gotten into me? And so last week we looked at a passage where Paul explained to us why we have such a difficult time fixing or solving ourselves. Last week we looked at what the Apostle Paul his, uh, said his explanation was, and here's what Paul he said. He said, at some point in time there was a man named Adam. In the very, very beginning of time there was a man called Adam and the entire human race was in Adam because he was the first person. Adam was the first person created and because everybody else ever born would come forth from this first man in that sense everybody is in Adam. I am in Adam. You are in Adam. Billy Graham is in Adam. Everybody that will be born at some point in the future everybody will be born in Adam. And because everybody who's ever been born is born in Adam, one of the realities of that is what was true of Adam is true of us. When we are in Adam, his history becomes our history. What is true of him is true of us. What happens to him happened to us, even though we may not have been there at the time it happened. Okay, again, this is kind of Hebrew thinking. This is how biblical writers thought and understood. So through Adam, at some point in time, Paul says, you know, there in the Garden of Eden, it was then that sin, through Adam's rebellion, there in the Garden of Eden, don't eat that fruit, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Adam and Eve, they both ate. Sin entered into Adam. And with that, death, shame, guilt, condemnation, all of that followed very quickly behind the sin that was now in Adam through his rebellion. And Paul says, not only will this infect and affect Adam, it will infect and affect everybody who's ever been born in Adam because what happened to him happens to you and to everybody born in Adam. His history becomes our history. What's true of him is now true of us. 
So when you and I were born, because we're in Adam, he's the first person created, sin is entered in through Adam. Now when we are born, again, what is true of him is true of us. So he was born he was created, sin entered in, sin infected, affected Adam. Now that we are born in Adam, what is true of him is now true of us. His history is now our history. As sin entered in through Adam, we who were born in Adam, now we are also born in sin. His history now becomes our history. And we said last week that these little Balls kind of represented us. You know, I was born in Adam. You were born in Adam. Billy Graham was born in Adam. Everybody who's ever been born is born in Adam. Everybody who's going to be born in the future is going to be born in Adam. And just as sin infected and affected Adam, it's going to infect and affect all who come from Adam, who, all who are born into Adam, and that is everybody. So when Adam sinned, it was as if all of us sinned because, again, whatever happened to Adam happened to us. Even though we weren't there at the time it happened, his history became our history because we are in Adam. When we were born, because we came from Adam, whatever affected or infected him has been passed on to us. We were born in sin. Again, not because of anything we did, but just simply because we are related to Adam. What's true of him is now true of us. So based on this understanding, the Apostle Paul would say the reason you keep doing the things you don't want to do, the reason there's this internal battle, internal conflict inside of you is because sin, this power, this force lives in you and sin became Adam's master and now it has become your master as well because his history is now your history. And there are times in our lives where we just feel like we don't have any option we feel powerless to kind of obey the sin, the power, the force that dwells in us. Now, again, this is Paul's diagnosis of the problem. You don't have to agree with him, but this is what Paul says. This is his explanation as to why we do the things we don't want to do and don't do the things we know we should do. Because we're born in Adam. And in Adam, there was this power, this force called sin. And once sin entered the human race through Adam, death, guilt, shame, condemnation were right behind it. And sin, this power, this force ruled over all of us. And that includes you and me. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul, how he ends this explanation, this diagnosis of the problem in Romans 7 verse 24, and he just simply ends it by saying, what a wretched man am I. That's pretty bold. You know what that tells us? It tells us whatever Paul wished he didn't do, but he kept on doing, it wasn't something insignificant. It wasn't something small. It wasn't, you know, I keep driving five miles over the speed limit. Oh, what a wretched man am I. No. It, it wasn't, you know, my wife has to keep reminding me to take out the garbage. Oh, what a wretched man am I. No, 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 no. Whatever it was, and Paul doesn't tell us exactly what it was, and I'm glad he doesn't. 
Whatever it was, it just drives him to the point where he says, I know what I ought to do. I just can't do it consistently. Paul would say, I have days, a couple of days, where I go and, and, and everything is great. Uh, I have two days, three days, where I'm kind of just, you know, in victory over this thing. And then out of nowhere, it kind of just seems to come and it hits me and it sidelines me. What is wrong with me? What has gotten into me? And Paul's response to that would be sin has gotten into us. This power, this force that had gotten into Adam has also gotten into us through Adam so much so that it causes us to do things we don't want to do. And let's be honest here. Every one of us, Christian or not, there are moments in our lives where we've experienced this. we felt this way. What is wrong with me? I would do anything to change I would do anything to break this habit. I would do anything not to lose my temper with my kids, my spouse, my friends, my coworkers. I would do anything to rid myself of this addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, shopping, eating, all of these things that drive me to do what I know I will one day regret. Wretched man, wretched woman that I am. All of us have experienced that. Then you know what we do? We follow all of that up with this line of questioning. What can I do? What can I change? What can I read? What can I say? What do I need to know? What, 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 what? And what many of us have come to discover is there's no what that will rescue you. There's no what that will save you, not a sermon, not even a Bible verse, because you know what, folks? It's not a what. What is not the issue? And it's at this point the Apostle Paul begins to introduce to us the solution of the sin, the power, the force that is in us and overwhelms us and controls our behavior. Instead of asking, what can I do? Here is Paul's line of questioning in Romans 7, verse 24, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through, and this is a big word for the next few weeks, Jesus Christ our Lord. Who, 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 not what, who will rescue me? We ask, what will rescue me? And Paul asks, who will rescue me? And then he follows the question with the answer, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now Paul introduces us to the solution. He says the solution isn't a what. The solution isn't you. The solution isn't discipline. The solution isn't more willpower. Although in the New Testament, the apostle Paul uh, encourages all of those things. In fact, you may remember one of the fruits of the Spirit is uh, to have self-control. But Paul's saying here, what I'm talking about here now is so much bigger. The answer for why can't I do what I ought to do is a person, not a what. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for the next few minutes and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how Paul describes how this who connects with the do. 
Because what most of us try to do is we want to connect the what to the do. What do I have to do to change? What can I read? Paul says in order for us to have victory, we must get the who to connect with the do then we won't do the things we don't want to do. And the Apostle Paul says, this is how I found victory over the things that controlled my life, the things that for so many years I tried to overcome on my own. And here's basically what the Apostle Paul is gonna tell us. He says, just as the one single unrighteous act of one man ensured that you and I, when we were born, we were born a slave to sin, meaning when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he introduced, he opened the door to sin, sin came in, sickness, disease, judgment, shame, guilt, all of that followed on the heels of sin. And just as the one single unrighteous act of one man ensured that you and I were born slaves to sin, so the single righteous act of one man, Jesus, frees you and I, and it has the potential to deliver us from the power, the force of sin. So the one single act, specifically the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I'll explain more of that in just a moment, it has the power and the potential that once you are taken out of Adam and you are placed into Christ, then you are free from the power, the force of sin. Now the Apostle Paul is going to explain something to us that some of you here this morning, you might kind of find this unbelievable or, or you may kind of uh, have a hard time understanding it. In fact, some of you are going to say, I didn't know that. I didn't know. And the reason you're going to say I didn't know is because you didn't know. <laughs> in fact, Paul starts this discussion in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, by saying, don't you know, because even in some of Paul's audience, as, as he's teaching and preaching this, there were people who apparently didn't know. So are you ready? Here we go. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. Now again, Paul's talking here to Christians. These are, these are people who are living in Rome. They have converted to Christianity at this time. And so what Paul is saying here, Paul's speaking to born again believers. And he said, we are those who have died to sin. And then he asked this question, how can we live in it any longer? We are those who have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? To which our response is, well, I can explain that part. I mean, that's easy. Let me tell you how to continue in sin. I do that all the time. I've got that down pat. It's really simple. As a matter of fact, just follow me around, and I'll show you how a Christian continues to live in sin. I'm not proud of it, but I do it anyway. It takes no effort, no discipline. I don't even need a little card on my mirror that says, remember to live in sin. It just comes automatically. I just go there and do it, and sometimes I don't even put up much of a fight. So I can answer that question for you, Paul. And then I just get to the end of my day and I say, you know, a prayer, dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me of my sins. You know, if you grew up attending church, chances are that's what you were taught. 
Or maybe you run to a priest, you go to a confessional, you go in the confessional and you kind of just unload your sin, you know, load there to the priest. He says, say so many Hail Marys, bless you, and then the slate is wiped clean. The apostle Paul, his response to that would be, wait, 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 wait. I'm not asking you how you do it. He said, I know how you do it. I just told you I used to do that. What I'm asking is this, why, why, why would those of you who have been freed from sin continue to live in it? Why would you keep doing that? Why would you keep treating her that way? Why would you continue living that lifestyle? Why would you treat your body that way? Why would those of you who have been freed from the power, the authority of sin, continue to live under the power of sin? That's his question. Not how do you do it, but why? Why would you keep saying yes to a master who is no longer your master to which we go, uh, uh. And then Paul says in Romans 6, 3, or don't you know. To which we go, I thought I did, but maybe I don't. I thought I'm a sinner, I'm a bad person. You know, I'm not as bad as some people, but I'm you know, not as good as other people, so I just sin and go, what'd you expect? Nobody's perfect. I'm not Jesus. And then I ask God to forgive me of my sin, and I really kind of thought that was the whole deal. And here Paul's saying, didn't you know? He's saying there's so much more to the fact that Christ died for your sin than you will go to heaven someday and you'll get forgiven in this life. Didn't you know? To which we say, I didn't know. And now Paul tells us what we perhaps never knew. Ready? Here we go. Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Didn't you know that? And some of us are going, not only did I not know that, now that you've told me, I'm not even sure what it means. What does it mean? Again, this is so important, so let me explain something here. When we see that word baptized, we think water baptism, you know, or, or sprinkling. Uh, you know, do, do, do you do full body immersions? We sprinkle. Do you do adults? We do babies. Or, or maybe you get into an argument or a discussion with a person who goes uh, to a different church, and, and, and it's, you know, we dunk, you sprinkle, na 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 na. You know, we got Jesus. Yes, we do. We got Jesus. How about you? And we kind of have these discussions and these debates over baptism. Paul's not even talking about that. This little word baptize back in Paul's day, it was a very common word. At that point in, in time, it had no religious connotations to it. The word simply meant to place in, to dip, and to immerse. The word itself translated baptize, it meant to put something into something. Now here's what Paul's saying. He said, didn't you know that when you were baptized into Christ, that is, you were taken out of Adam, 
and placed into Christ, didn't you know that you were baptized into his death? Didn't you know when you were taken out of something and put into something Something happened, something changed. Didn't you know when you were taken out of someone and put into someone, something changed? You were now baptized into his death. Now again, Paul's introducing something to us that is so important. Here's what he's introducing. Remember, he said this, that when you were in Adam, what was true of Adam was true of you. Whatever happened to him happened to you. His history is your history. Not again because of anything you have done, but because of who you're related to. You were separated from God. You were lost. You became a prisoner to the power of sin the moment Adam sinned. The moment Adam sinned, sin became his master. Sin became our master. Not because of anything you did, but just because you're in him, you're related to him, you came from him. Paul says, don't you know that when you put your faith in Christ, when you are taken out of Adam and you're placed into Christ, don't you know that in that moment, just as what was true of Adam was true in you, of you, in the same way what is true of Christ is now true of you, which means that when Jesus died by being placed into Christ, it was as if you died. His history, just like Adam's history became your history, what was true of him is true of you. Now in Christ, his history is now your history. What is true of him is now true of you. Even though you weren't there when he died upon the cross, what affected Christ now affects those who are in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you know that? Don't you understand that? Don't you know that the death that Jesus died, you were in Christ when he died, so all of the benefits, all of the ramifications of his death are now true of you? Do you not know that? You were baptized into his death. Which maybe some of you here this morning are going, I didn't know that. Paul goes on in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Starting to see some of the changes that are happening. Sin is no longer your master when you're taken out of Adam and put into Christ. You died when he died. You were buried when he was buried. You were raised again when he was raised from the dead. When he was given all power and authority over sin and death, when you are in him, you now have all power and authority over sin and death. You changed. Things changed when you went from here to here. When you were baptized into Christ, when you were someone who was put into someone, it had ramifications. It had impacts. It had applications. What's true of him is now true of you. His history is now your history. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you grew up in church, 
Maybe you've already believed this because here's the part you believed. You believe that somehow because you were related to Jesus or asked Jesus into your heart or to forgive you of your sin, you're going to go to heaven one day when you die. Well, that's part of the message of the gospel, and it's true. You were taken out of Adam. You were taken out of condemnation, and you were placed into Christ. But what you didn't know, and this is why Paul's flushing this out, and Paul's trying to go really slow here, and he's trying to, you know, cover every base to make sure we don't miss anything, is that not only does this apply after we die and go to heaven, there are benefits and ramifications of this that apply right now in this life here today. Or, or didn't you know? Verse 6, for we know that our old self, so Paul is saying there's an old self and a new self. The old self was you in Adam. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ, that once you're placed into Christ, once you go from Adam into Christ again, what's true of him is true of you. He says once Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him because you're placed in him. Your history now becomes, his history now becomes your history. And Paul says the reason you get to go to heaven is because you're in Christ. The reason you're able to live this new kind of victorious life and have dominion over the power of sin, it's for the very same reason. You are now in Christ. What's true of him is true of you. Verse six, he continues, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Literally, here's what that means. It means that part of you that has been ruled by sin dominated by sin, is no longer under the power or the force or the dictate of sin. Or another way of saying this is that we should no longer live as slaves to sin. Because I'm not a slave to sin. I was a slave to sin here. I was powerless. But when I went from being in Adam to being placed in Christ, I now got the power, I got the victory over that power, that force of sin. And you may respond to all of this by saying, but pastor, sometimes the temptation is so strong. Sometimes that temptation to do wrong, it is so overwhelming. To which Paul would say, well, yeah, but you're not a slave to sin because when you were taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, that sin, that power, that force at that moment, it lost its power over you. And then Paul goes on in verse seven to show how we know that's true. He said, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You know what Paul's basically saying? Have you ever tried to tempt a corpse? <laughs> you ever tried to tempt a dead man or a dead woman to sin? Great question. Because once you die to the old self through the death of Christ, you won't be tempted to eat too much or to look too long. Once you die to the old self by going from being in Adam to being in Christ, you are free from the power, the dominion of sin. And Paul's saying that when you were placed into Christ, everything about Christ's death was applied to you and does apply to you. Everything that happened in his burial, in his resurrection, whatever is true of him in that is true of us, those of us who are in him. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on in verse 10 and it says, the death Jesus died, he died to sin once 
for all, which means literally it happened once and it happened for everyone. When Jesus died to sin, he did it once, one time for everybody, past, present, future. That is, it happened for you that when Christ died to sin, you died to sin once you went from being in Adam to being placed in Christ. Paul's making the point that when Christ died, whether you can get your head around this or not, that once you were placed into Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his burial, all of it applies to you. It's as if you died, and the death he died to sin, he died once for everybody, one time for everybody. That means in Christ, you have now died to sin. Sin is no longer your master. Sin no longer has power and dominion over you. Sin is no longer your owner. Sin no longer actually dominates or controls you unless... Let me emphasize this, unless you say yes to the sin that used to be your master. Now Paul comes to the application, I'm gonna read it to you, explain it, and then we're gonna pick up here next time. Okay, here's the application, Romans 6, 11, in the same way or in the same manner, count yourselves dead to sin. In the same way that Christ died to sin once one time for everybody in the same way, count yourselves now or consider yourself now dead to sin. Now why would I consider myself dead to sin? Because I'm in Christ and the death that he died, he died to sin. He lived a sinless life and then allowed death to kill him. Then he came back to life and he said, now you are in me And just as sin was not his master, sin is not your master. And so Paul says that just as Christ's death overcame the power of sin and demonstrated the fact that he overcame the power of sin, he said in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then jumping over to verse 14, and this is so powerful. For sin shall no longer be your master. Isn't that amazing? One of the benefits, man, when you go from being in Adam to being in Christ, sin is no longer your master. Because Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, he overcame the power of death and sin. And what is true of him is now true of us. What happened to him now happens to us. I want to end by giving you an illustration that I think will help you in making more sense of what Paul's talking about here. This little guy on the screen here is my nephew, Matthew. Actually, he's also my little birthday buddy because we share uh, the same birthday, not the same year, uh, but the same day. You're like thinking, yeah, we got that, Captain Obvious. Um, He was adopted back in June of 2015 by Janie's uh, sister and their family in Indiana from an orphanage in China when he was just two years old. As a matter of fact, the day they got back from China after the adoption uh, was Matthew's second birthday. Uh, It's just an amazing thing to consider because here's, here's a baby, a little guy, living in another country, living in an orphanage with, with several layers of power and authority. 
There is a power and an authority in the government. There is a power and authority in the state. There is power and authority in the institution. There is power and authority in the orphanage. There are are, are staff people in that orphanage who have power and authority over Matthew. And every single day, that little guy's life was dictated by the rules and the laws of both the government and the people in the orphanage. And these were rules that kind of dictated when he got up, when he went to bed, what he's going to do during the day. Here's what you're going to do in the afternoon. Here's who you live with. Here's what you're going to eat. Completely dominating and dictating every facet of this little guy's life. And then it's so powerful, it's just so incredible with the stroke of one pen. And and I know those of you that have been through adoptions, you'll say, oh, it's a lot more than just the stroke of a pen. But let's just simplify it for the sake of illustration. With just one stroke of the pen, in just one legal transaction, everything changes And in some cases, certainly Matthews, this this little boy, he didn't even know what was happening as it was happening. He was too young to understand the implications of what was taking place in that moment of his adoption. A legal transaction occurs that goes beyond the will of the child. It goes beyond the will of of the decision-making ability of that child. A legal transaction takes place and something amazing happens in Instantly, in a moment, in one legal transaction, Matthew went from being an orphan to becoming a member of the Wardinger family. This little guy, he goes from no wealth to the wealth of his new family. He goes from no home to his very own room. From one name, Haran, to another name, Matthew. I mean, there are so many implications and ramifications to this, and it all happens instantly. And the older the child is, as many of you know, the longer it takes for the child to grow accustomed to this new place, this new world, this new family, this new reality, this new love. It takes so long. And some of you have heard the stories. You've heard stories of children who hoard food in their rooms or little children who cling to Cheerios because in the orphanage there just wasn't enough food. And it takes a long time sometimes for them to kind of wake up to this reality of I'm not who I used to be. Everything has changed. But for the sake of our discussion, here's what's most important about an international adoption. With the stroke of a pen, in one legal transaction, that government, that state, that institution, that orphanage, Those staff people in the orphanage, as wonderful as they may be, with the stroke of a pen, they lose all power and authority over that child. As a matter of fact, the Chinese government 
could show up at the Wardinger's house in Greenwood, Indiana, and say, we want him back. He belongs to us. To which Mark and Amy can simply say, no, you no longer have any power or authority over him because he is ours. He belongs to us. He is now in the Wardinger family. Now here's what Paul's saying. Whether you understood it or not, whether you recognized it or not, whether anybody told you or not, when you were taken out of Adam and you were placed into Christ, you got a new name, you got a new identity. There were so many implications. There were so many changes. You've got a new family. You've got a new destiny. You've been forgiven and on and on and on. But maybe most significantly, when it comes to your earthly experience, sin has lost its power and its authority over you. And you may have been saying yes to sin ever since you became a Christian. You know, you, you may have been saying yes to sin your entire life. Because it just wells up in you. It just seems to overpower you. And it was so strong. And there are times where you feel like, I just don't feel like I have any chance. And you find yourself engaged in this awful battle, this conflict. I don't want to, but I want to, but I don't want to. And we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. But here's what I need you to know from this point forward and for the rest of your life, whether you ever do anything about it or not, Romans 6, 14, sin is not your master. With the stroke of a pen in one legal transaction, when you went from being in Adam to being in Christ, sin lost all power and authority over you. And you not only have permission, you have encouragement from the God who loves you to say to sin, sin, you are not my master. You have no power or authority over me. Sin, you can call, you can beckon, you can prod, you can entice, you can make me feel, you can taunt me, you can tempt me, but you need to know I am no longer in Adam. I am now in Christ. And what is true of him is now true of me. When Jesus died, I died. And the death that he died, he died to the power, the force of sin. I died to the power of force and sin. And through the legal transaction of Christ's death upon the cross, sin is no longer my master. Can you imagine living a life like that? Can you imagine this afternoon when there it is again, there he is again, there she is again, there they are again, and all of a sudden you just start to feel this overwhelming desire to do what you don't want to do. You just allow Christ to take you to that new place, to that new identity to that new way of thinking that I am now free from sin. Sin is not my master. And here's what we're going to do this week. I'm going to give you just a little homework assignment, and then we're going to be done. I want you to figure out your own version of that phrase, sin is no longer my master. I want you just to kind of make it your own. Come up with a translation that, that, you know, is meaningful to you. Sin, you are no longer my master. 
And then in those moments of temptation, in those moments where you're overwhelmed with despair, overwhelmed with loneliness, overwhelmed with lust, tempted by fear, overwhelmed with jealousy, overwhelmed with whatever it is, and suddenly you start to go to that place you always go when you're overwhelmed with those emotions, all I ask you to do is this, on your way, would you just pause long enough to whisper out your version of this, sin you are not my master. I am dead to sin, but hallelujah, I am alive unto God. Let me just tell you, when this becomes your new approach, your new way to life, when this becomes the new grid through which you view all of life, your marriage, your kids, your habits, the habits you want to have, your discipline, your body, your health, the way you think, it's going to change things radically because you're not the person you used to be. You were this, but you've been taken out of something and put into something, and you are no longer what you once were. Sin, you are no longer my master. I'm dead to sin, but hallelujah, I'm alive unto God. Can you do that? And we're going to pick up there next week. But what I want to do is this week, last week, uh, I, I didn't probably explain this as well as I needed to. I, I kind of left um, some balls in both jars, which represents that there are people who are in both places. There are those that are in Adam that, uh, that have yet to make that confession of faith, that have, have yet to be baptized, taken out of something and into something. So I, I want to just tell you, if you're here this morning and, and maybe you kind of find yourself or you're kind of sitting there thinking, I, I kind of think I'm still in Adam. I've never ever allowed myself, I've never ever asked Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins, to, to take me out of Adam and to baptize me into himself. And, and so maybe you're kind of sitting there this morning, you're kind of wondering, how, how do I do that? I mean, how do I go from being in Adam to being in Christ? It's very, very simple. Paul said that if you'll just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and all that simply means is Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He was God in human flesh. And he came and he lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. And because of that, when he rose again, he had new life. And because of his death, because of his shed blood, I can have forgiveness of my sin. And I can now be alive and I can be forgiven because I'm now in Christ. And so Paul said, if you'll just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and that's what Easter's all about. If you'll just believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul said, you shall be saved. In other words, if you'll just confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you go from being in Adam to being in Christ. It is that simple. It is that powerful. And so maybe you're here this morning and maybe you kind of identify as being in this jar. You can go from being in Adam to being in Christ this morning. Maybe some of you, you see yourself, you're kind of in this jar. Yeah, I, I've made Jesus Lord of my life. I've asked him to come into my heart. He's forgiven me of my sins. I know I'm in this jar, but pastor, I continue to live like I'm in here. I continue to say yes to sin all the time. And you know what? This morning you just need to change that thinking. Sin is no longer my master. I'm done with you. This is who I am. 
And so this morning, I'm just going to pray for you as we close that wherever you may find yourself in this this morning, that God wants to strengthen you this morning. Amen. Let's just stand together. Father, we just thank you again just for the wisdom of your word. We thank you, God, for the way, again, that it, it instructs our hearts. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you desire a relationship with us. You desire to forgive us, to make us whole, to free us from everything that would try to take us captive, that would try to hold us back, everything that would try to cause us to do what we know we shouldn't do, that you sent your only begotten son because you loved us so much and you wanted us to, to be set free from that destructive way of life. And Father, we thank you that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. So we could go from being in sin to being free from sin. That we could go from, from sin mastering and ruling us to no longer having any reign or rule over us because we are alive unto God. And Father, we thank you. And Lord, I just pray for those people here this morning that would see themselves as still being in Adam. They've never ever asked you to be Lord and Savior of, of their life. They've never asked you to forgive them of their sin. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that even just in the heart, in their heart right now, that God, they would ask you, please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart. Jesus, I believe you are God. And I believe that the Father raised you from the dead. And Lord, in that moment, in that transaction, God. We go from life or death to life. Father, I also pray for the people who are, who are living in Christ, but God, are not experiencing the victory. Those people that continue to say yes to sin as if it were continuing to be its master. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll just give them power through the presence of your Holy Spirit in them. The Lord, they would have the power they would exercise that power and that dominion over sin to say, no, sin, you are no longer my master. I am now alive unto God. And Father, we just thank you for all that Christ has done to bring us to that place. We just pray this in his precious name. Amen. Thank